It is uh, great to be with you. How's everyone doing? Are we doing okay today? Good. It's, uh, it's always a tricky thing talking to a group of people with masks on because all you see is the eyes, and sometimes they get a little glazed over, so I can't... We should draw, like, smiley faces on the, eye, on the masks or something. We're going to have a good time this morning. We have a great story. Uh, we're continuing our series in the book of Joshua. This is a story of, of uh, two groups of people that were headed for a great conflict, and somehow it was diffused without any further damage. So I thought, hey, that's a great story for our world today, so we're going to look at that. But I just wanted to reiterate something that Jesus, or Jesus, not Jesus, it was Stephen, it wasn't Jesus. Um, it's the first time you've ever been referred to as Jesus, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, yes. Um, Stephen mentioned next week is our family service. Um, this is just a great time to, uh, if you are are here and you have no school-aged kids. Um, I know we've had some kids go off to college yesterday. We moved Charlie into his college dorm yesterday. He was wide-eyed and overwhelmed by the whole thing, um, as, many, as many people in that situation are. Um, we know some kids have gone back to college, but if you have school-aged kids that are still around, we would love to have a moment at the end of service next week where we just pray for our students. It's going to be a unique year and a challenging year in a lot of different areas for our students and our teachers. And we just want to take some time as families and as the family to pray for them. Um, if you are watching online today, next week would be a great week to come in person. Um, invite some teachers if you know it. One thing we do is we give them a gift every year, the teachers, and we give you some gifts to take home and give to the teachers because we want them to know that we are here to help them and support them. So in the gift is a card. It's usually a coffee mug or some other beverage, you know, and it might be a big extra large coffee mug this year for all the extra caffeine they're going to need. But in there we have a card, and it just says, we're Homestead Community Church. We want to be a resource. We're praying for you, and if there's ever a need in your classroom or a student has a need or something you need for your classroom, please let us know, and we want to provide that if we can. And uh, Teachers have taken us up on that. So we want to be connected in our community, and we want the schools, the public schools, and all the schools to know that we are with them and support them, especially this year as it's going to be a challenge for them. So join us next Sunday. Um, and then uh, that QR code we put up there, we, we know that there's new people that come and join us most weeks. We have a lot of people that still aren't feeling comfortable coming to a gathering like this because of COVID, and we recognize that if you're watching today. We just want to know that we love you, and we're thankful that you're a part of our family. Um, but with new people, we are finding it, uh, we're just trying to find new ways to keep connected in this world where it's a little bit difficult to stay connected. Um, so if you would, wouldn't mind just filling out some information so we have a way to get a hold of you and just can uh, keep you up to date on church information. And if you had any questions about the church, we'd be happy to answer those for you. So let's jump in, shall we? All right. <laughs> Everyone's ready to roll. Joshua chapter 22 is where we're going to be today. Joshua chapter 22. We have been, ever since we moved into this building here at the end of June, we've been looking through the book of Joshua. It's in the Old Testament um, it's the book right after the uh, first five. The first five books of the Old Testament are known as the Pentateuch or the Law, the, the Law of Moses. Some people refer to it as that. And then right after that is the book of Joshua. And this is the story of after the Israelites escape from Egypt and they wander in the wilderness for 40 years, they cross the Jordan River and they are in the promised land. This is the land that God promised to give them where they would become a nation, that they would, become, they would have a home, that they would settle this land for themselves. This was the promised land of God. And so they spread throughout the promised land, throughout Joshua. We read stories of them conquering different areas, settling in different areas. Israel had 12 tribes, and each of the tribes had a different spot in this land that would be theirs. 
And so as they're going through, they're settling throughout, and each tribe is settling in a different location. Now, if you remember, one of the first weeks of the series, we talked about what the Israelites did when they first crossed over the Jordan River into this land. Remember what they did? They took stones out of the river, as big of a stone as they could carry, one for each tribe, and they made a large monument so that they would look back and remember what God did. And they said then it would be so for future generations, when future generations come who weren't there when we left Egypt, who weren't there in the wilderness, who weren't there when we crossed the Jordan River, they would see that big stone monument and they'd say, well, what's this for? And it would be an opportunity to tell the kids, this is what God did. This was the faithfulness of God. This is, shows the importance of passing our faith on to the younger generation. Well, now here we are years later and the tribes are spreading throughout the land. There's three tribes, the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, and the tribe of Manasseh, that the land that they're settling in is so far away from the original location where they crossed the river that they think we're not anywhere near that altar of remembrance that we made. We're, our kids aren't going to see that ever. So we should build another one here. And so they decide with the spot where they are, they build another stone monument so that they would remember. Now, this, there's an important distinction to make here in this story, and we'll dive into it in just a second. God had given them you know, very specific instructions that was only to be one altar made, only one altar of sacrifice or altar of God. This would be the place where they would make the sacrifices or bring their offerings to worship God. There was only going to be one of those, and they weren't to build any other altars. However, the altar of remembrance was different. It was just a monument. It was just something that caused them to remember, to remind them of God's faithfulness. So when the three tribes build this altar of remembrance, the rest of the nation of Israel has a misunderstanding. They think they're building another sacrifice altar. Like they think this altar they're building is disobeying God, that this is a sign of disobedience and rebellion. So they hear this, and they're ready to go to war with the other tribes of Israel. These are like their brothers and sisters. This is one nation of Israel, but they hear that Reuben and Gad and Manasseh are building this altar, and we got to go over them and over there and battle them and fight against them because this is disobedience. And so we're going to read that in Joshua chapter 22, starting at verse 11. It says this, And when the Israelites heard that they had built the altar on the border of Canaan at Gelilith, near the Jordan on the Israelite side, the whole assembly of Israel gathered at Shiloh to go to war against them. They're ready to go to battle, to start a war against other Israelites. Now, their anger wasn't unreasonable because it was, even though it was a misunderstanding, they thought this was disobeying God. They thought this was idolatry, a, sa a sacrifice altar that they were building away from the original one, and this was against God's instructions. And if you've been with us in this series, you know what happened the times when Israel was disobedient. God's judgment and anger came on them. And so they're wanting to stop that, and they are preparing to go to war. And they march over to these other tribes, the tribe of Reuben and Gad and Manasseh, and they prepare for war. And before they do, they confront these tribes. And this is what it says in verse 26 of Joshua 22. This is their explanation for why they built this altar. 
This is why we said, let us get ready to build an altar, but not for burnt offerings and sacrifices. This is where they're clearing up the misunderstanding. On the contrary, it is to be a witness between us and you and the generations that follow that we will worship the Lord at his sanctuary with our burnt offerings, sacrifices, and fellowship offerings. Then in the future, your descendants will not be able to say to ours, you have no share in the Lord. In other words, they try to clear the whole thing up. They say, this is not an offering for sacrifices. This is just a reminder for us so that we know that we are worshipers of the Lord, so that our children will come to us and we'll be able to talk about God's faithfulness. This is them clearing up the misunderstanding. There's a war about to begin, and this is them trying to prevent it and saying, no, 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 you guys have it all wrong, right? Have you ever been in a situation where somebody confronts you with something, and you're like, no, 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 this is a big misunderstanding. Husbands, we've been in that situation before, have we not? Where maybe there's some angry eyes coming from our wife, and we say, no, 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 that was a misunderstanding. And that always works super good, right? Amen, the husbands said. <laughs> They're scared. Husbands are scared to say anything right now. So before we go into any further in the story, this is what's happened. I want to ask you, how would you respond in this point? If you were the, the rest of Israel and you were ready to go to war and you go and talk to the three tribes and they, get it, they give you an explanation, say, no, it was a misunderstanding. It was this and this and this and not this. How would you respond at that point? I bring that up. And this message today is just about ways that we handle conflict. And in conflict, we have a bad habit. And I've done it and I've had this done to me. That when we have an offense or we go and we confront somebody, and then we find out it was a misunderstanding and that there was no reason for war? Well, what do we do then? So often, what I find myself doing, what I see other people doing, is we find something else to justify our anger, don't we? Oh, well, now I'm mad at you for this because I'm all fired up and now I need another reason to be mad. Have you ever been there? For the Israelites, <laughs> for the Israelites, it would be the situation where they're all angry, they're ready for war, and they realize it was a misunderstanding, and they say, well... We're here. We're ready for war. we got to find something else to fight about, right? I'm, I'm, you should have talked to us in the first place, or you, should, you shouldn't have marched all the way over here and done this without us knowing, and you're so distant right now, and you never consider us, or all any, you know, something like that. Or the words that come up in marriages in disagreements all the time that are the worst words to say. You always are like this. You always do this. It's like they could have said, I'm here and I'm all angered up and I didn't get all fired up for nothing, so let's find something else to fight about. Have you ever been there? But Israel's response, and here's why I love this story and here's why I wanted to talk about this story today. This was Israel's response. After they realized it was all a misunderstanding, they say in verse, in verse 33, this is their response. They were glad to hear the report and they, what, they praised God. And they talked no more about going to war against them to devastate the country where the Reubenites and the Gadites live. It's like they just said, oh, okay, we're good then. The conflict was diffused, and, they, and what does it say? They praised God. Oh, good. It was a misunderstanding. And the conflict diffused, and they worshiped God. And why do I tell that story today? Because in our world today, this story is so refreshing to me, Right? This story is so refreshing to me, a conflict that could have been there, that could have been bad, and then some understanding was gained, and then it diffused, and everyone said, oh, there was no reason for conflict after all. We gained understanding. 
This applies to marriages or families. This applies to parents and kids in the workplace. This certainly just applies in our culture this year, 2020, where everybody just seems a little amped up and ready for a fight, right? And the conflict, rather than it seems like conflict never diffuses, that it always escalates. So that's why I love this story today, and here's why I wanted to talk about this today. Two main thoughts today from this story in the book of Joshua. The first one is this. So often, all it takes is just a conversation, just some understanding that could prevent a war or a conflict that would otherwise have far-reaching consequences. Imagine this story here, just this simple conversation, it prevented an actual war like a war where there would have been casualties, lives lost. It's said there, right there in the, in the verse 33, they talked no more about going to war against them to devastate the country. This would have been devastating for the people and the land. And especially when you think about it, these are all God's people. These are all the nation of Israel. All of a sudden, they're ready to go to war against each other. How would God be feeling looking down on that? Like, no, you're supposed to be united. You're supposed to be my people and following me. So often, conflict that escalates just has far-reaching consequences. It's not just you or the person that you're arguing with. It's kids and family members and coworkers and community members. We've seen this around the world where there's conflict that escalates that devastates lands and people. How often in our world has, has uh, damage been inflicted in our lives because somebody just refused to seek understanding or get a different perspective or allow the conflict to diffuse rather than escalate? And how valuable would it be in our current climate, in our current culture, 2020, election year and coronavirus and racial tension and all of these things, in our current culture, how valuable would it be if people just listened and sought to gain understanding and had conversations rather than just suiting up for battle, right? Amen? Rather than just suiting up for battle, an understanding or a conversation with those with whom we are opposed. And it seems that understanding is impossible. So often it's just simply understanding. It seems that it's so hard for us to have conversations with people with different viewpoints because it's just going to escalate into something bigger. And the biggest hindrance we have today, in my opinion, is the complete inability to tolerate different points of view. Just somebody who disagrees with us, somebody of a different culture or background, or someone from a different generation, or someone from a different political viewpoint or a social viewpoint, we have a very tough time tolerating other viewpoints, don't we? And we agree with that when it's somebody not being able to tolerate our viewpoints. We're like, yeah, they need to listen to us. And we as, we as the, the church, we have a very easy time saying, yeah, the culture does not tolerate us. But we do it too. I do it. We do it. Other viewpoints, we're like, well, sure, that viewpoint is good, but it's wrong. And I know it's wrong because I'm right. This is how we think, right? This is how we think. I'm right and you're wrong. And so I don't need to tolerate you because I'm right. Which leads us to the second point. The first one was we got to have conversations and gain understanding. But more importantly, the second point is we got to be not so eager to go to war. This story in Israel, how quick it was, I'm struck by how quick it was when they heard what the other tribes were doing. Their first response was, we got to go wipe them out, <laughs> right? It was a quick battle. 
It was a quick decision to go to war. We in our lives, in our families, in our communities, in our nation, we got to not be so quick to go to war. Gotta not, and I'm not talking literal war. I'm talking in conflict with other people in our relationships. We have to learn to live at peace. There's some great verses in the New Testament that I'm going to spend the rest of our time together talking about. First one is in James chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. It says this, Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. We get those reversed too often, right? Everyone should be quick to what? Listen and slow to speak. That'd be great to turn on the cable news show, wouldn't it, where everyone's, you're used to everyone just yelling at each other, and all you have is people listening and calmly saying, why don't you share now? Okay. I imagine the ratings would go down, but I'd watch. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. For anyone who follows Jesus, any child of God, any disciple of Jesus, this should be like our 2020 motto right now. Going into an election, this should be our motto because everybody seems ready for a fight. But here we are as people of God, followers of Jesus, and this is what it says in the book of James. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. That could apply in marriages. That could apply with our relationships with our kids or bosses or coworkers or teachers or kids at school. For human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. That's going to stand out in our world because, as I said, everybody's ready for a fight these days. You see it. We were, we were on vacation. Have you ever been around someone that you know they're just looking for a fight? Ever been coming home and maybe your spouse, you see them and you're like, uh-oh. You can tell right away because you know you're gearing up for a fight. Maybe it's just me. Christy's not here today, so I can say these things. Maybe she's, watch, maybe she's watching online. We were on vacation last week with Christy's family in the Brainerd Lakes area up near Pequot Lakes and Cross Lake. So there's this coffee shop in Cross Lake, this little town, northern Minnesota, that I was at uh, one of the mornings just doing some reading, enjoying a cup of coffee. It was nice in there. The workers, it seemed like they were all kind of students with a summer job, you know, high school-aged young girls. They were working. There's a few other groups. You know, we were all masked up. We were all being very socially distant, and everything was going good. And all of a sudden, I saw one guy walking in. And you could tell right away, this guy's just amped up. He's ready for a fight. And so he's putting his mask on. You can tell he doesn't like it. And he storms in and he goes up and they're like, how can we help you today? Well, I'm going to have this. And like within 10 seconds of him talking, he's like, I hate these things, talking about his mask. Right? And we're all like, yeah, we, nobody, nobody wants to put on the mask. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, nobody likes it. But he just, nobody replied to him. He just like, I hate these things. And then he just kept going. And you could tell he was all just amped up. Maybe you've experienced someone like this in a store. And I felt, you know, because these young students who are, you know, behind the counter taking this guy's order, they're like, what do we, <laughs> okay, sure, us too. But then he just, he amped it up. He was ready for a fight. So he kept going. And then he just started making ridiculous statements comparing this to the Holocaust and comparing certain government officials to Hitler and then all this stuff and persecution and government. And the poor girls behind the counter are just like, ha okay. And they just weren't doing anything to try to get this guy to just chill out. And I'm watching him just like, dude. And he kept going and nobody's, convert, nobody's having a conversation. He's just firing himself up and he gets his coffee and then he tears his mask off. I'm not I'm taking this thing off. And then he started making comments about he's going to go and lick all the door handles. And I'm just like, dude. <laughs> 
go away. And then he's outside in the parking lot. Nobody's around him, and you can still see him. I'm looking through the window, and you can still see him just fired up. He's shouting to nobody at all. He looks like a total crazy person, just shouting at the wind or something like that. Ever been around someone like that where you're like, dude, you are amped up. You are wound up too tight. Any, when do you want to be around someone like that? Never, right? You're like, yeah, there's no productive conversation <laughs> coming from that, coming from that guy. Um, I don't know what the point was of that, but I just I thought that was a funny story. Everybody, there's times where you just tell that people seem amped up. And we've been through a tough year, 2020. Man, it has been a rough year. We will be glad when it's 2021 and we can have 2020 hindsight. Huh? Hindsight was 2020. See what I did there? That's the good, that's the good humor you can expect here at Homestead Church, ladies and gentlemen. Um, Everyone in 2020, we've gone through a global pandemic, and then we've just had racial tension, especially in Minnesota, and we're dealing with stress with our kids, trying to homeschool and distance learning. And if you are at a business or you're in leadership, you're trying to navigate through this and make wise decisions. Everyone is stressed out, and we get it. But we look at that, and it just seems everybody's ready for a fight. And here's the underlying issue. When we're looking in a culture that everyone's ready to go to war, like these Israelites in Joshua were, Here's the underlying issue that leads to all conflict is this. I'm right, and I got to win. That's, the, that's, that's it, right? I'm right, and I must win. This, is, this was crazy guy in the coffee shop. He was right, and he had to let everybody know about it until everybody agreed with him. And no matter what side of the social issue you are or the political spectrum you are, you got talking heads who, that's it. We are right, and we must win. This is the culture war that we're in. But... When we read the book of James and we read other stories in Scripture and we read what Jesus teaches us, we have to guard against that as people of God, right? We have to guard against that mentality of I'm right and I have to win because that posture just leads to a life of conflict. And then you end up a crazy guy in a coffee shop shouting at the wind as you walk out with your mocha latte or whatever it was. That leads to a life of conflict. And as we're seeing in these stories and as we know from firsthand uh, first-hand experience. These conflicts don't just affect us, but that's enough, right? You don't want to be a person that's just wound up and feeling anxious all the time, but it doesn't just affect us or the person that you are in conflict with, but it affects, every, affects everyone around you. Lives are affected all around you, and when we have this eagerness to go to war with those whom we disagree, we no longer see just people Right? We no longer see people with differing opinions. What do we start to see? We start to see enemies that must be defeated. We start to see enemies, and enemies must be defeated. And this is very, this view, especially the view from these Israelites, is a very Old Testament view because what you see through the stories is God's people were God's people. They were righteous, and God's instructions were, go find the people, and if you find people that are not godly and unrighteous, we're going to wipe them out. This was an Old Testament view. And this is where it's hard for us in this culture because we are people of God, and we have, we're, we're pursuing God's standard of righteousness and morality. And so we have all these issues in our culture, and we know this is a difficult thing to balance as people of faith in our culture because there's things that we want to stand up for. There's things that we want to stand against. And how do we do that without having that mentality of, you are not with me and you must be defeated? Well, fortunately, we have a Savior we have Jesus who models this for us, who teaches us how we can do this. 
And this is what we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about today. Because Jesus taught an entirely new way of living, an entirely new way of handling conflict, where the Old Testament mentality was find the ungodly and defeat them. Jesus taught a new way. And honestly, the way that he taught, you might not like it sometimes. I don't like it sometimes. It is hard to listen to the teaching of Jesus when there's conflict, when there's groups of people that really, let's be honest, are hard to get along with at times. So the teachings of Jesus, and we're like, oh, I look at it, and I'm like, man, Jesus, I wish you wouldn't have taught that, because that's really tough, right? We've been there. There's times I don't like it. There's a story in Luke chapter 9. Jesus and his disciples are traveling through Samaria. Jesus has his followers, the disciples. In Samaria were the Samaritans, and this group of people were not liked by the Jews, not liked by the Israelites. They were enemies. They were in conflict all the time. So Jesus is going through Samaria with his disciples, and the Samaritans, because there's conflict, say, Jesus and the disciples, you are not welcome here. Get out of here. We don't want anything to do with you. And this is what happens. They are not welcome. And this was the response of the disciples of Jesus in verse 54 of Luke chapter 9. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Bit of an overreaction, right? Can you imagine that? Like if the conflict, if you as a Christian were like trying to talk to someone and they disagreed with you and you're like, God, get them, and like fire consumed them. This is what the Israelites are thinking because this was Old Testament thinking. They were thinking like the way it used to be. We're with Jesus and you are opposed to us. Therefore, you are opposed to Jesus and you must be wiped out. Do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But here's Jesus' response. But he turned, and I highlighted that word, and rebuked them. I highlighted the word rebuked because in the Greek language, in the New Testament, that word rebuked, the Greek word for that, is the same word that Jesus used when he was commanding an evil spirit to come out of someone, when he was rebuking a demon or a demonic spirit. That's the same force that Jesus puts behind that word. He rebuked his disciples and he said, you do not know what kind of spirit you are, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. So there's two things Jesus is saying there is, these lives, these Samaritans are lives that we are here to save. Jesus is changing the view of his disciples. We're not here just for the godly Israelite people. We're here for all the people. So he's, he's doing two things. He's telling the disciples, all people are who I am here to save. We don't have enemies now. We have people that we are trying to reach. But he's also rebuking that spirit in the disciples. He's saying, I know the spirit that's in there that's causing you to say that. It's that spirit that was in the Old Testament thinking of it's you and it's against them and we must fight a war. And he rebuked that. This is a new way of living that Jesus is teaching. We're not here to win battles and defeat people. We're here to save. This is what Jesus teaches us. And this would have been brand new for the disciples. This would have been brand new for anyone in that culture because in this culture, it was all about winning the culture war. If you were an Israelite and you were in Samaria, it was all about defeating the Samaritans. If you were an Israelite, you were under the oppression and rule of Rome, and it was all about rising up and defeating the, the evil oppressors of Rome, the Roman Empire. 
The disciples were all about using Jesus to elevate themselves and to get authority. You see that throughout. They, it took them so long to learn this lesson that Jesus was trying to teach, as it does for us, this new way of living that Jesus is trying to teach us. Sometimes we are a little slow to learn these lessons. Even the Pharisees who ended up arresting and killing Jesus, it was all based on this idea of we are right and this is a threat to us and we must defeat them. But Jesus teaches his followers, his disciples, and today that's you and me, a new way, a better way, a way that will bring about fruit in our lives, a way that will bring about the kind of godly fruit that God wants to see in us, and a way that's also going to do this. It's also going to bring about influence in our voice. This is not just about us as Christians saying, okay, in our world where there's all this conflict, we're just going to be quiet and let people do what they want and not say anything because this is what Jesus wants. And No, what this is is a voice of kindness in a culture of hostility is going to bear so much influence, right? That's the voice that's going to stand out. That would be the voice that people look at and be like, whoa, he's not shouting at everybody that disagrees with him. He's actually loving them. That lady over there is actually serving those people that she disagrees with. And that is going to be a voice of influence. Look at Jesus. He modeled this, and eventually the disciples got it, and they're the ones that changed the world for Jesus Christ. This is going to be a way that our voice can have influence. This is why this teaching of Jesus is revolutionary in that culture and in our culture today. A voice that says, we're not here to win we're not here to conquer. We're not here to subdue the unrighteous or those who disagree with us. We're not here to find different groups of people to defeat them. We are here to serve, to give, to love, and to pray for those who persecute us, to love our enemies. And those are the words of Jesus that I read, and I'm like, oh, it's so hard sometimes, isn't it? Especially in our world today, to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. It's another story in Mark chapter 10. Again, Jesus with his disciples trying to teach them this same lesson. And Jesus tells them, Mark chapter 10, verse 42, he's teaching his disciples. It says this, Jesus called them together, his disciples, and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. So he's saying, this is very common. If you have authority, you want influence so that you can rule it over people and control people. But he says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Again, Jesus is very countercultural in his words. This is how it works in the world, but if you want to be my disciples, it's not going to work that way with you. Instead, you are going to lay down your life for others. You are going to not try to exert authority over, but come under and serve and love and be a voice of influence that way. And Jesus said it, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Jesus is saying, even I, and when he calls himself the Son of Man... This is a very intentional thing that he does because the phrase the Son of Man was a, a phrase used in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament prophesying that Jesus would come one day. And when they were calling him the Son of Man, it was, it was not um, just a human term. It was a term used to describe him as like king, conquering king, savior, like 
elevated, like godly, son of God, savior, king. So Jesus is saying, son of man, he's referring to himself as, I have every reason to lord authority over someone. I am the son of God, the king of kings. But yet I came here to serve, to love others, to lay my life down for others. This is his call for his disciples. We are here to die to ourselves, to be peacemakers, to carry our cross, and to lay down our lives. This is the way we're going to see the world changed. This is the way we're going to see the world changed. This is the way in a, in a culture that is so antagonistic and hostile. If the people of God, and we've got people in the room here on different sides of the political spectrum, and I love that we have a unity above politics that is Jesus Christ. And here, let me just say this. I'm not saying, you know, don't be active politically, and you're going to be, those of you who know me know I'm a Canadian, so, and I can't vote this year, so you can just disregard everything I'm about to say about politics. I'm not saying don't be active. As citizens of this country, speak up and stand up for and vote your beliefs and vote with a faith-filled conscience. And I know the people in this room aren't going to vote the same way, and that's fine. That's great. We have a voice. So I'm not saying that, but when we bring our faith in, when we behave as children of God, and this is the hard balance to do sometimes, we have to walk, go about that with a life that models Jesus and the love of Jesus, right? We, right? Yeah. All right, good. Well, I'm just... And I know this makes people nervous, and my wife's watching now, and she's nervous. I'm going to say something. And if you have any complaints, send it to our complaint email, and that's jeffmerricks at homestead.net. Jeff Merricks is somebody else. Um, this is the way we can see our world change. As we go about this politically volatile season, when we have the mentality of Jesus to love others and to influence through that, to influence in a voice of kindness, and serving, to model what Jesus did, that's going to stand out in our world. That's going to stand out in our world. When we get too caught up trying to change our culture through force, not, you know, revolution force, but, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to defeat the world into a faith in Jesus, right? We're not going to impose it. We're not going to legislate it. It has been tried before in history where Christianity was legislated and imposed, and what happened then? The, the church became watered down and hypocritical. It just it didn't work well. There's a reason why in parts of the world where the church is persecuted that the gospel is thriving because the gospel's always been meant to be countercultural. We're not going to legislate Christianity with good results. We're not going to force people into believing. It's not going to work well. And I'm just going to say this. Once, since I'm already offending some of you, I'm just going to say this. We got to, I mentioned the persecuted church. We got to stop talking like we are a persecuted church in this country, okay? If we have to wear a mask to come to church, that is not persecution. That's just being kind to our neighbors. And I know you disagree with that. But we got to stop saying that. When we're, the, when we're talking about how we're persecuted, it does a great disservice to the people in our world today who are giving up their lives to follow Jesus, okay? We have people who, if a decision to follow Jesus is made, they are outcast from their families and their communities. Many are thrown in prison. Many are losing their lives. So we have to have that perspective, okay? Amen? Can someone help me out with that? We have got to keep a proper perspective. But we are not going to win the culture war and force everyone to be Christians. What we are going to do and how Jesus modeled it and how it is most effective is when we have a voice of kindness. 
In addition to standing up for what we believe in, we do so with an element of serving and laying down our lives for others. People are going to look at that and it's going to be like, whoa, that is something totally different than what I've seen before. And that's going to be the thing that's going to cause them to want to know more about our Savior. Not us trying to be just another group that's trying to win. We need to have the model of Jesus in front of us. Because Jesus showed us the way that is going to change the world. And we want to be a part of that. When people see us coming, they want, I want people, when they see someone from Homestead Church approaching, not to be like, oh, here we go again. They're going to tell us why we're doing everything is wrong. We don't want Christians that sound like the crazy guy in the coffee shop, right? Because people see that guy coming and they're like, oh, dear. I want people to see Homestead Church people coming and say, those are the people that are loving and kind. And even though they disagree with me in just about everything, they are the kindest, most caring people, and they offer to serve and help. And I don't agree with them socially or politically, but I like being around them. This is the goal, right? This is the thing that's going to change our world and change our culture. One final scripture in the book of Philippians chapter 2. This is written by the Apostle Paul. Now, Paul, in his earlier life, was a religious Pharisee opposed to Christianity. He was persecuting the church. He was the one in the culture war saying Jesus and his followers need to be defeated. And then he's miraculously saved, and now he's going around telling people about Jesus. It's a great story, the Apostle Paul. This is what he writes in the book of Philippians to another group of Christians. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. He instructs us in the way of Jesus. In your relationships with one another have the same mindset of Christ Jesus. This is what we're talking about today. Be like Jesus. Have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. In other words, this is what we're talking about. If anyone had reason to wage the culture war, it was Jesus because he was God. But he did not consider that as something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The ultimate in humility, the ultimate sign of laying down your life for other people is what Jesus did for us. It's why we are here and we can be saved today. Is because Jesus modeled this, humbling himself, laying down his life for others so that others could win, not the culture war, but they could experience life and salvation and freedom in Jesus Christ. This is why we're here, right? This is why we're here. And that doesn't change no matter how the election goes this year. That doesn't change no matter how our culture goes, no matter how long we have to be wearing a mask or socially distancing. Those things stay the same. And we can model those things, right? Loving kindness, be politically active. Do so with the mindset of Christ that doesn't see people as people that need to be defeated, but who can be loved and served so that we can show them that there is life and joy in Jesus Christ. Amen?